According to the website 911memorial.org, the Twin Towers were the centerpieces of the World Trade Center complex. At 110 stories tall, each one provided nearly 10 million square feet of office space for about 35,000 people and 430 <coughs> companies. They were the tallest buildings in New York City and for a brief period upon their completion, they were the tallest buildings in the world. They attracted roughly 70,000 tourists and commuters combined every day. Each tower rising to just over 1,360 feet, they provided views that extended for 45 miles from the top of the towers in every direction. Each tower weighed more than 250,000 tons. Each tower contained 99 elevators and each tower had 21,800 windows. Each floor was an acre in size. The complex even had its own zip code, 10048. It was 20 years ago, yesterday to the day. On Tuesday morning, September the 11th, 2001, when planes were flown into the Twin Towers, it was a day on which nearly 3,000 innocent and unsuspecting people were murdered, making it the most catastrophic terrorist attack on American soil in the history of the country. Now to those of you that are less than 20 years old, this might seem to be just another terrible footnote amongst many other tragic events in American history, much like perhaps the Great Depression or the bombing of Pearl Harbor or the Vietnam War or the bombing of the Mora Federal Building in OKC in the 1990s. But to those of you that were alive and remember September 11, 2001, you probably all remember exactly where you were when you heard the news. I was driving a tractor trailer empty back from Framingham, Massachusetts on 495 going out around Boston in the Haverhill-Lawrence area and one of our company drivers headed the other direction with a loaded tractor trailer informed me of what had gone on because I hadn't had my radio on that morning listening to the news. Probably over the past week, you've heard a lot about the 20th anniversary of that event in the news. And this morning, I want to again begin by taking you back and taking you through an abbreviated timeline of the events of that September day, as Alan Jackson termed it in his song, What Were You, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning? Put together a brief timeline. It has everything to do with the lesson. Here's where we go. 5.45 a.m. on that fatal Tuesday morning in 2001, 5.45, hijackers passed through the security screening in Portland, Maine. 7.59 that morning, American Airlines Flight 11, a Boeing 767 with 92 people aboard, takes off from Boston's Logan International Airport, headed for L.A. 15 minutes later at 8.14 a.m., 
United Airlines Flight 175, a Boeing 767 with 65 people aboard takes off from Boston. It is also headed to Los Angeles. Six minutes after that at 8.20 a.m., American Airlines Flight 77 takes off from Dulles International Airport outside of D.C. The Boeing 757 is headed to Los Angeles with 64 people aboard. 8.30 that Tuesday morning, activities have commenced at the World Trade Center, the commercial complex in lower Manhattan, owned by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Now, in addition to the signature Twin Towers, which you can see standing there, the complex included a hotel, which was three World Trade Center. It included four other office buildings, four, five, six, and seven World Trade Center. It contained a shopping mall, restaurants, a public plaza, plaza, and a major transportation hub, this whole complex. And of course, the two towers were one World Trade Center and two World Trade Center. Around 8.30 that morning, the picture I'm about to show you was not taken that morning, but I believe it was taken the day before at a luncheon. At 8.30 that morning, roughly 80 people have gathered to attend the Risk Waters Group Financial Technology Conference on the 106th floor of the North Tower. 72 restaurant staff have arrived in advance of the morning's breakfast service and conference prep. At 8.41 a.m., United Airlines Flight 93, a Boeing 757 with 44 people aboard, takes off from Newark International Airport, headed for San Francisco. It had been scheduled to depart at 8 a.m. around the time of the other hijacked flights. 8.46 a.m., Mohammed Atta and the other hijackers aboard American Airlines Flight 11 crashed the plane into the floors 93 through 99 of the North Tower of the World Trade Center, killing everyone on board and hundreds inside the building. Flight 11's impact severs all three emergency stairwells, trapping hundreds above the 91st floor. Investment firm Fred Alger Management and insurance company Marsh and McClellan have offices in the impact zone. 35 Fred Alger employees and 290 employees plus, 64 consultants, contractors, and affiliates of Marsh are killed in the attack. 69 employees of Car Futures with offices directly below the impact zone on the 92nd floor also die. Bond trading firm Cantor Fitzgerald, which occupies floors 101 through 105, suffers the largest death toll of any single organization. 658 employees, 48 consultants, contractors, and affiliates. In 903, hijackers crash United Airlines Flight 175 into floors 75 through 85 of the World Trade Center South Tower, killing everyone on board and hundreds inside the building. 937, hijackers aboard Flight 77 crash the plane into the western facade of the Pentagon in Washington, killing 59 aboard the plane and 125 military and civilian personnel inside the building. 9.59, the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapses. 10.07 a.m., 
After passengers and crew members aboard the hijacked Flight 93 contact family and friends and learn about the attacks in New York and Washington, they mount an attempt to retake the plane. In response, hijackers deliberately crash the plane into a field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, killing all 40 passengers and crew. At 10.28 that morning, the World Trade Center's North Tower collapses in on itself. 102 minutes after being struck by Flight 11. Approximately seven hours later at 5.20 p.m., the 47 tower, 47 story, seven World Trade Center collapses after burning for hours. The building had been evacuated in the morning. There were no casualties, although the collapse forces rescue workers to flee for their lives. Why did I get through all that in the sermon this morning? I'm gonna answer that question. I want you to consider with me contractors, business people, office staff, truck driver delivery people, waitresses, waiters, cooks, common, ordinary, everyday folks that went to work that morning. The reason I went through all of that was to let you know that these were people from all walks of life that were in that tower that morning. And I want you to picture yourself as a common person. Maybe, maybe as a grandparent, let's say, because that strikes to my heart. Let's say that you were maybe a, a grandparent on one of those airplane flights to go see your kids on the West Coast. Been a long time since you'd seen your children, your grandchildren. And so you saved up your money, you decided to go on vacation. I've, I've got a vacation coming right up. I can kind of identify with this. We're not flying. And so you've, you've gone through the, the airport and you've boarded one of those planes and you've gone in and sat down and you've stowed your luggage away and you sat down and kind of gotten as comfortable as you can and you're preparing for this long coast to coast flight. Or perhaps picture yourself as one of the common everyday restaurant workers, janitors, contractors, consultants, or employees. Picture yourself as any one of those people I've just mentioned. And here's the thing. Let's say you're one of them. Just going to work like you always do. And let's suppose for a moment, work with me here. I know God doesn't speak to us out loud. I understand that, work with me. But let's suppose you're one of those people and you knew in advance, no shadow of a doubt, no doubt whatsoever, you absolutely knew. However, it was possible for that to happen. In fact, we'll just say for a minute, suppose with me that God himself did talk to us today and he had literally told you that morning that you were going to get up you were going to go to work, just like you've always done, like many of you are going to do tomorrow morning. And what was going to happen? You were going to go to work on the hundredth floor of one of those towers, or above. You were going to be trapped for 102 minutes above where the plane hit and separated you from all hope of rescue. You knew without a doubt that if you went to work that morning, that those planes were gonna hit 
and separate you from any hope of rescue. And you were going to watch your co-workers plead and cry out to God, some of them jumping to their deaths. And you knew without a doubt that you were going to die when that building came down. Would you still have gone? Would you still have boarded that plane? Would you still have gotten up and taken the kids to daycare or kissed your spouse goodbye or headed out the door and gone to work as a cook, a waitress? Would you have gone knowing what was going to happen, knowing the horror, if there was any way, and there's no way you could have, but if you could have, just work with me here, if you could have, would you have gotten into that elevator and pushed that button for the 108th floor, 106th floor? I don't think there's a one of us that would have. Let me take it up a notch. Would you have gone, not only gone and, and pushed that button and gone to work knowing what was coming, but would you have done it knowing, absolutely knowing, if you knew that the whole purpose of your death that day the whole purpose of it would be to offer freedom from punishment and forgiveness to the very terrorists who would fly those planes into those towers. Would you have done that? I'm not talking about rescue workers who risked their lives and ran into the rubble with the possibility they were going to lose their lives. I am talking, no doubt about it, you knew that if you went to work in those towers that day that you were going to die that way and that you were going to die to offer freedom and forgiveness for the very people flying the planes. Because I want you to consider that's a very small picture of exactly what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us. Think about that. Our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the almighty creator of the universe, did something just like that, only on an infinitely far greater level than we can ever imagine, and he did it for you and for me. Just like the terrorists, the terrorists who had planned and plotted and schemed and prepared to take down the Twin Towers for a long time, so too did the spiritual terrorists of the first century plan and plot and scheme and prepare to take down Jesus for a long time too. And just as those Muslim terrorists put their deadly plan into action on that early Tuesday morning 20 years ago, the spiritual terrorists of the first century put their deadly plan into action on an early Friday morning some 20 centuries ago. See, it was sometime late overnight, Thursday night into early Friday morning, that they came and they took Jesus hostage in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And then they, they steered this totally innocent one toward an early morning collision with a hostile high priest, King Herod, and eventually the Roman governor Pilate, throughout which our Lord and Savior was repeatedly mocked and scourged and tortured, beaten, ridiculed, lied about, treated with contempt, and had his body scourged to a bloody pulp. All of that before being led out right around 9 a.m. on that fatal Friday morning was approximately six hours later, round three that afternoon, that our Lord and Savior took his last breath and his dead body was finally taken down off the cross as he continued his fight, taking the battle to the enemy in the spiritual realm of Hades. And so as I, as I kind of line those up, you can see there's a few parallels, in a sense. But despite any possible similarities we might see between those two acts of brutal terrorism, and they both were, one of the biggest and most incredible differences, yes, there may be some similarities, but, but the, the difference, the, the, one of the absolute, colossal, infinitely big, incredible differences is that Jesus Unlike the masses who boarded those planes, unlike the masses who went to work that morning, Jesus knew everything. He knew it all. He knew it from God before that happened that fatal Friday morning, and yet still he came. Just the same, just to go through it all for you and I. Jesus Christ knew before you and I were ever born. He knew before World War II. He knew before World War I. He knew before the Dark Ages. He knew before he himself was ever born to a woman. He knew before the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities of the Old Testament. He even knew before Cain killed Abel, before Eve ate the forbidden fruit, before Adam took his first breath, or before he ever laid the first cornerstone foundation of the earth, Job chapter 38, he knew what it was gonna take that morning. You see, Jesus was there at the creation in the very beginning, Genesis 1.26 in John 1, 1 through 4. Jesus was there before creation, before the beginning, Revelation 1.8 in 22.13. And Jesus knew from the beginning and from before the very beginning ever began. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, and 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Jesus knew, without a doubt, as he watched through the centuries, every evil, miserable, 
painful, sinful, satanically driven perpetrator of evil in human history as he watched them do their absolute dubious worst to inflict pain and destruction. As he watched that all, he still knew what he was going to have to do to offer forgiveness to even them, to even the ones who flew the plane. He knew he was going to have to leave the power and majesty and security of his perfect and heavenly home with God, and he knew he was going to have to come to die for even the worst of sinners, including even the spiritual terrorists who were responsible for his death. On that deadly Friday morning in Jerusalem in 33 AD, 20 centuries ago. But he still came. He still came. He came without doubt. He came without hesitation. He came without reservation. He still came to die the most unthinkable death possible to secure spiritual freedom and forgiveness for sinners like you and me. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it tells us that he was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God knew everything. Jesus is God. And this was done by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He knew the plan, people. He knew the plan. He knew the pain. He knew the sacrifice. He knew the timetable. He knew everything that awaited him that torturous Friday morning in Jerusalem. But he still came. He still punched that button. He knew the thoughts, the hearts, and all that is inside of a man, Matthew 12 and verse 25, but he still came. He knew from the very beginning who was going to betray him, John 6 and verse 64. He knew, but he still came. John 18, 4 is one of the most, maybe it's one of the shorter verses in the Bible, but it's one of the most important ones to me. It's one of the ones that stands out the most. I, I quote it a lot. I talk about it a lot. John chapter 18 and verse 4, he knew all things that would come upon him. He'd been telling his disciples for weeks. He'd been telling them, the Son of Man is going up to Jerusalem and be betrayed into the hands of sinners, and they'll mock him and they'll scourge him, and he went on and on. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. After his, after his resurrection from the dead, when he comes back to his disciples, he tells them in Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 44 and running through verse 47, hey, these things all had to happen that the scriptures would be fulfilled. He knew. But he still came. 
He knew the exact timetable and precisely when and where he needed to be in order to take the fall, in order to face the wrath, in order to pay the price for my sin and your sin. He knew exactly when and where he needed to be to be destroyed, to be deserted by his heavenly Father for the one and only time in all eternity for yours and my sin. On that deadly and dreadful Friday morning 20 centuries ago. He knew right down to the last and smallest and tiniest jot and tittle of the law when every last commandment of God was accomplished and perfectly carried out so that you and I could go to heaven. John 19, 28. And even though he had known since before the foundation of the world precisely what was coming to him that, get, get this, even though he knew, even though he knew everything that was going to happen, even though he knew the plan, he knew the pain, even though he knew about that particular time and place and what would happen to him on that fateful Friday morning, it was still so intense, it was still so incredible and all-consuming The, the, the overwhelming suffering that he would go through was still so much when God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, still even knowing all of that stuff, it was so painful that he cried out in the midst of it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the thing is, he didn't just come to face all of that for good people. He didn't just come and face all that for righteous people. He came and faced all of that for the worst of sinners, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He came to do that for those who were guilty even of causing his own death, the worst of sinners. Please open your Bibles to Romans 5. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps, for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How, I'm sorry, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Listen, Paul's point there is look, if God was willing to do that for you when you were an enemy, how much more now that you are his child now that you've been reconciled. And not only that, I love Paul's wording, it's like, wow, this is great, this is as great as it can be, but no, wait a minute, we'll take it up a level. Oh yeah, I'm not done yet. In addition to that, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Are you ready to rejoice this morning in Jesus? Can you even begin to envision or imagine someone's being fully aware of the infinite tragedy that Christ came to earth knowing he was going to have to suffer that deadly mourning for them and then that person not being constantly grateful for his bloody sacrifice for their sins every moment of every day. and especially this Lord's Day, the first day of the week. This is the day when his redeemed and rescued ones come together. This, today is the anniversary of, of Jesus' resurrection, you know that. On the first day of the week, early on, he was resurrected. Today is the anniversary of Jesus' resurrection from all of that when he kept his promise, just as the prophet said he would and he was raised from the dead. This Lord's Day when his redeemed and rescued ones come together to express their thanks and gratitude, to worship him in spirit and truth for what he's done for them. How can people who know what he did not come together to worship him, whether live or live streamed? How can they miss this? Some folks are so fickle, so forgetful. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.9, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Matthew 13, 20 and 21 talks about the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but it has no root, only enduring for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Some people become Christians and they know about the sacrifice. But then they just, over time, arbitrarily don't make an effort even, when they can, to come together on the anniversary and to celebrate what Jesus did. Same thing happened immediately after 9-11. You remember that? According to the Barna Research Group, they reported that church attendance increased nearly 25% nationwide right after the towers went down. But sadly, that spiritual fervor of the masses lasted all of maybe two months, a whopping eight weeks, according to statistics, before church attendance once again dropped back to pretty much pre-attack levels. How soon we forget. <clears throat> but you see, anybody who truly realizes what Jesus came and did, knowing, knowing, all of that, but still coming. They can't stop celebrating Jesus. 
knowing everything that he was going to have to endure as a result, he still came. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? It means that as long as I live, no matter what I might have to endure as a result, I will still come. I will still come. I will come to lovingly worship him, whether live or live streamed, each and every Lord's Day that I am physically able, just as he deserves. It means I will still come to acknowledge and believe and appreciate and follow and adore and love and obey and submit to and reverence Jesus every day. It means I will still come to worship the one who knew since before the dawn of time every ounce and iota of the agony and the horror that he was going to have to experience for my stupidity, my sin. On that faithful and frightening Friday morning in first century Jerusalem nearly two millennia ago, but he still came because somehow in his mind I was worth it to him. As the song said, <clears throat> knowing all he would endure, he still came. I hope we never look at that song the same again. But he's coming again. And according to Hebrews 9 and verse 28, it says Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He's coming again. And when he does, and from the bottom of my heart, I mean no disrespect to all that was suffered at 9-11. None. But when he does, for those who are not his, for those who are not in Christ, it is going to make New York City's 9-11 disaster look like a picnic. According to many passages, including 2nd and 3rd, I'm sorry, 2nd Peter 3 and others, for those who are not in Christ, for those who are not under the blood of Jesus Christ, there will be no second chance. There will be no chance of escape. There will be no hope of rescue because he will come in the blink of an eye. So we got to be ready. You see, in this case, in this case, we know, remember when I said earlier, what if God could come right out and tell these people, you know, or tell you if you were one of those workers, this is going to happen today and you knew it from God. Remember when I said that? Okay, and I said he doesn't talk to us that way anymore, right? But I'll tell you this. We do know straight from the word of God that Jesus is coming again. Is that right? We don't know the date, but we know he's coming. And so, because we know he's coming, 
We know in advance there is no shadow of a doubt. God has told us that throughout the scriptures. We got to be ready. And if you're not in Christ, you're not ready. Are you ready? Are you in Christ? Or will you maybe be caught off guard like maybe some of those in the towers who were sitting there that morning at their desks, maybe on the phones, maybe doing business, just going through another day. And suddenly everything came to a halt. Knowing all that was coming to him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, still left his home in heaven and came for you. Knowing that he is coming again, will you now leave your old life of sin and the pew you are in and come to him to either be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins or for the prayers of the church that you will be better prepared for his coming right now as we stand and as we sing.